0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.
1: This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: This week on Rewind, your week in review. Governor Tony Evers teases several of his budget proposals during his State of the State address. We tell you how much money he wants to spend and why Republicans are criticizing him over it. Plus, could Evers and GOP leaders strike a deal on passing along more money to local governments? And some candidates for state Supreme Court are hitting the airwaves. We discuss their message and whether it crosses the line of the state's judicial code of conduct. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 27th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin.
1: And I'm J.R. Ross.
0: Jared, this week we're going to start with recapping Governor Tony Evers' State of the State mm-hmm. Address. And some of his highlights um, include what we're about to read off right now. Now, it is a lot of money. It's mm-hmm. going to cost upwards to our calculations for about $1.26 billion. And he basically teased a lot of his priorities of what he's going to include in his budget proposal to lawmakers. Now, we know that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss already indicated, like they always do, that they're going to take it apart piece by piece and recraft it the way they want but at least we have kind of some insight Mm -hmm. on what his top priorities are including $500 $500 million for mental health. He declared this year, 2023, the year of mental health, focusing on getting more resources in schools and just uh, aiming to prevent youth suicide. Also investments in child care, 100 million in PFAS contamination, workforce grants, small business grants, and bolstering the healthcare uh, uh, workforce as well. Uh, now let's just take a listen from Governor Tony Evers, kind of just trying to extend an olive branch saying, we got all this money in the state surplus, let's start investing in these priorities. But GOP leaders were quick to say, whoa, 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 that is way too much money and we are not going to spend that much. Let's hear from them.
1: Just because we're in the greatest fiscal position in the state's history doesn't mean we can afford to be careless. Wisconsinites have to work too hard and have, have gone through too much for us to return to austerity. Now is the time to stay prudent, to stay safe, smart, and be bold with reasonable investments to keep building a lasting legacy of prosperity. Pretty much everything he proposed today was a government expansion, so I would assume that most of those are DOA. But I have to see the details to know exactly what the priorities are. Boy, he sure is trying to spend a lot of money. Uh, we'll see. We'll see um, in a month what his budget all entails. But uh, I was trying to add up the numbers going along, and he's trying to spend a lot, a lot of the hard-earned taxpayer money
0: of, of Wisconsin. So all of his priorities that he talked about doesn't even include the other things that he's mentioned previously. I think it's a $2 billion investment in K-12 through through schools, also the tax cut proposal for middle-income earners. So this is almost just the beginning of how much more Evers plans to propose uh, in his budget
1: proposal. This is the one-two punch uh, every governor does in an odd-numbered year where you have the state-of-state address and the January, to set up your budget address in February, lay out your full plan. Um, this is Evers basically laying out, hey, he won? This is my, this is my agenda. Uh, I want to spend this money. I want to invest it in things. Uh, he taught, mentioned K-12. Can't forget, he's also got a $600 million income tax cut he wants to do. Uh, he's got other priorities. Now, he mentioned doing more for shared revenue a separate money, but now he's on a different tact with that. And asking Republicans, they've said, look, this is not going to happen. We're not going to go this route. Like they picked apart, for example, the grants he wants to do for businesses, right? So use federal money with co- from COVID to give businesses these grants to help them pay for costs. Public argument is, look, we want to cut taxes for those businesses. Why not cut their tax rather than giving them government check? Do it that way. There's your differences. Um, what is clear in this budget is priorities for both sides are going to be education funding, tax cuts, shared revenue. The question is in what priority, different for both sides, and what amounts? What I'm watching is they actually communicate this time, or is it a case of Republicans saying, okay, we're gonna send you a budget that gives you just enough of what you want, while protecting what we want, to see if we can dare you to sign it, or, we actually veto the thing this time.
0: Right. And we heard Speaker Voss say, you know, all of this is dead on arrival. But I asked him, you know, well, what about PFAS? Uh, what about mental health? Those are typically not partisan issues. And he said, well, yeah, sure. It's not that I'm saying no to those things, it's I'm saying no to the dollar amount. Now, you also brought up possible areas of compromise. And we did see Governor Evers talk about one thing that everyone has been talking about at the Capitol is shared revenue, giving more money to local communities, more state aid to local communities, and changing that formula. So Evers proposed using 20% of the state sales tax to increase shared revenue, which is the same funding mechanism that GOP leaders, uh, Speaker Voss and Senator Lemihieu, have been teasing for months now. Now they said, well, that looks like almost the same plan that we were talking about. Voss did clarify they're nowhere near a final plan, but there were also some Republicans that felt a little irked that he didn't, you know, tell them ahead of time that he was going to announce this. But bigger picture here is that this could be something that all sides agree on, which is not often that we see in the, uh, ahead of the budget making process. The
1: details, though, matter, and so, like your point about Republicans being kind of miffed about this, it underscores the lack of communication between Evers and Republican lawmakers. You know, there have been people working this for a long time. Rather than calling them and saying, "Hey, just a heads up, I'm going to talk about this speech," the governor introduced it in the speech. Now, you may say, "What's the big deal?" He's out- offering olive branch, trying to get on board, but in politics, there's this little kind of dance of like being respectful of each other, communicating, keep people in the loop. This is one of those examples of the governor and Republicans not being the same page. The details part is what is going to go into the shared revenue formula. So, right now we have dedicated aid to county municipalities. There's also things in the budget that's about 700 million bucks a year. There are also things like they put money aside to repeal personal property tax which is a property tax on business equipment that was supposed to go away didn't go away this biennium, so now that money lapses back the general fund. But that's, you know, a couple hundred million bucks. There's also various uh, restraint programs that help keep down property taxes. If you look at everything in one big pot, it's about one billion dollars a year. Looking at the Fiscal Bureau's new projections on revenues for the next biennium, if you take one penny of the five-cent sales tax and put it all towards share revenue, you'd have about 1.5 billion roughly in the first year of the biennium, and 1.6 in the second. Obviously, a lot more than what we're paying right now, but what all will go into that pot that's being right. paid for with that sales tax money? Might they add things in? Uh, might they change what's going on? That's what we don't know, and that's what's important with the discussion of, where do you end up? I don't think we're gonna say, yes, we're gonna get 500 million bucks more to locals, period, in the existing formula. They're gonna want something to change. Milwaukee, for example, is already chafing at the idea of Privatization will fix all that ails it, right? They're saying that's not really realistic for us. We're not gonna save money by privatizing services in Milwaukee. They could have shared services with communities in Milwaukee County, but there's a whole different (laughs) ball of wax. when You try and get local governments to share services that could be a little turf war. So anyway, back to the point, there's money at play here. They want to get there, but how do they get there between now and summer?
0: And to clarify to people, this is the exact same plan Republicans were talking about for several weeks. I believe uh, Speaker Voss floated it in late November, but they were kind of portraying it as using 1% of the sales tax, which they really meant is 0.1%, which is the one penny from every uh, 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 five cents of the state sales tax to increase to services like EMS, police and fire and other needs.
1: And this is moved by Evers. I talked to him in November and said, hey, they were talking about this, and he said, I'm... I'm skeptical. I want to see the details. I'm not sure that I just want to find a dedicated revenue stream mm-hmm. for local governments because we have the money. Here's him trying to move, but again, even that is causing like a little bit of angst in the capital.
0: So I talked to some of Milwaukee leaders about just hey, look at this. There could be a possible agreement on shared revenue. I talked to Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson and Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley. He said yeah, this is a great start, um, but. In addition to shared revenue, they are still pushing for a 1% raise, actually the ability because they can't do it on their own, a 1% raise in their sales tax because they say without both, this is really just really falls short of their goals because they are facing, like many communities, kind of a financial cliff in the coming years. Let's hear from both of them of the reaction of just this possible agreement uh, between all sides on shared revenue and uh, the response about what else they're asking for.
1: I've been very consistent in that uh, I need additional uh, shared revenue, right? I I need that to increase because it's been frozen, it's been flat, it's been declining for a number of years. But we also need access to a sales tax. Uh, to put Milwaukee in a competitive position with other communities across the country. When I think about the governor's proposal, I truly appreciate what he has put forth, Uh, but I think everyone very well know that what he's going to be putting forth in his budget is going to look very different at the end of the process. And so we know we're going to have to continue to negotiate uh, with the state legislature to see exactly if we can see a package that's going to benefit everyone.
0: So we've been talking a lot about money the show. So let's just tell people about the state surplus is even bigger than projected than just two months ago. A new revenue projection that came out this week now shows the state surplus is at seven point one billion dollars. Now that's more that's $525, five hundred and twenty five dollars five 524 million dollars more than what the Evers administration just expected two months mm-hmm. ago. Now, what are the factors driving this surplus, Chair? There's the state Medicaid fund. There's money set aside to pay for the repeal of the personal property taxes, or property tax, and higher than expected tax collections. But while this is all good news, you know the GOP chairs of the Joint Finance Committee are kind of warning, uh, putting some warning signs out there about you know a possible recession and some other factors out there.
1: So this sounds like great news on the surface, and it is, but it isn't. <laughs> Let me explain. So we kind of knew we were gonna get to this point before. We talked about the Medicaid surplus coming in higher than expected. That's a big chunk of it. Um, so we also knew they had not paid, they had not repealed the personal property tax. That money was still sitting there. So this is not necessarily a growing surplus as it is a reaccounting of like what we knew before. There's also a warning sign. Um, the Fiscal Bureau does these projections every January, every year, and every May of an odd number of year. Now, two years ago, because of what was going on, COVID world, they pushed it back until June. Um, because the deadline for taxes was pushed back, remember. Anyway, Fiscal Bureau has had a string of reports where they project higher revenue than they thought the previous one. The biggest one was in the summer of 2021, right? $4 billion more than we thought we were going to have. It was like unprecedented. Okay, this is one-time money. So don't forget that. We got a huge surge of COVID money from the federal government. It pumped into the economy. We also had inflation, which means we're getting more uh, sales tax revenues or sales tax collections because it costs more to buy stuff. It's one-time funds though. It's not gonna be there forever. And we're also seeing some signs of things cooling off. If you read the fiscal bill report closely, it downgrades uh, sales tax collection projections for the next two years, versus what Evers projected just in November. Now, it's not a huge amount of money. We're talking about 43 billion roughly in, sales tax co- in, in to- total tax collections, the entire biennium. So a couple hundred million dollars off, not a big deal, unless it becomes a big deal. We've had stories recently about a decline in retail sales. We have the worries about recession. Now, we had growth last quarter, I think 2.9%, that was good. We also have this discussion about the debt ceiling in Washington, D.C which could roil the markets if we don't have a solution by this summer. There are all these ominous signs out there. I don't want to sound ancient, but I have been here when fiscal has come back and said, we're gonna get less money than we thought we were a few months ago. With the turnover we've had in the state capitol last several cycles, there are only a handful of lawmakers left who've seen a memo from the fiscal bureau saying, here's some bad news. What's that going to mean? Well, Republicans tell me they want to be cautious. They may want to hold back some of this money, maybe keep some of the general fund, maybe use it as, treat it as cash for one-time expenses like capital projects doing in cash rather than in borrowing. We shall see. What I can guarantee you is this budget will not spend all 7.1 billion dollars up front. The question is how is it divvied it up? Um, is there like in, in terms of ongoing commitments, right? We may use it right now for, I said, cash rather than bonding, but it's going to be Republicans trying to pump the brakes a little bit when this call comes down in a few months. All right, stay tuned. Yeah. Also, we're gonna to
0: switch to the state Supreme Court race. Uh, this week, was we saw the first candidate, which is Janet what 's go up on air. So you might be seeing those on, the, on your television set, on uh, some streaming sites, a little bit more often. Of mm-hmm. course, she's the first candidate out of the four in the race to get out there. Now, she's talking a lot about abortion issues. Uh, she's also made comments about redistricting, but her two ads specifically talk about a woman's right to choose that. You know, I believe a woman's right should have that between her and her doctor. We also saw uh, the conservative uh, former Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly, um, Fair Courts America, launched a radio ad by for him kind of touting uh, how he's the best conservative mm-hmm. in the race. So this is kind of just the start of it. Let's first just hear a little uh, little bit of uh, Protosawit's ad just to kind of set the scene of her messaging going forward. I'm voting for Judge Janet Protasiewicz for Supreme Court. She believes in our freedom to make our own decisions when it comes to abortion. Extremists want to ban abortion. Even in cases of rape and the health of the mother.
1: Judge Janet Protasiewicz is the change Wisconsin needs.
0: So based on her messaging so far, there have been some conservatives and some conservative radio hosts saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you know, she's uh, talking a little bit too much about her beliefs and values, and, you know, it may be going against the what's called Wisconsin's Code of Judicial, or excuse me, <laughs> Judicial Code of Conduct. Basically, uh, any judicial candidate has to follow these rules. They can't pledge, they can't make promises. They basically have this very fine balancing act of what they can say and what they can't say. So I talked to some legal Legal experts and they say while she's walking a fine line she hasn't really crossed it yet now that doesn't mean if she is elected there might be calls for her to recuse herself from certain cases like abortion. Uh, she's also called the state legislative maps rigged. We know those cases are very likely to be heard on the high court. So that's something we can see. But also it's important to note it's very difficult to petition a judge to be recused from a certain case on any level, state level, U.S. level as well. So that, uh, um conversation will be ongoing. Uh, so it's kind of beneficial, I guess you can say, from a political candidate by letting their beliefs known, mm-hmm. but also it could have a negative downside too that people say, you know, this is a nonpartisan race. I'd rather you not talk about those certain things.
1: Like even Republicans have talked to you say this is smart politics by Judge Prosewich because she's leaning into an issue that they expect to be a big factor this spring. We saw in November, abortion was a big issue in the November elections. It helped Democrats for sure. There is still a part of the electorate jazzed up about this issue. She is making explicit, kicked explicit pitch to them of, I am your candidate. Again, smart politics. Is it ethical, is the question. Well, again, has she pledged anything? No. Uh, also, there's this question of if you file a complaint against her over this, people doubt the commission, judicial commission would actually find it against her. And if they did, there's a thing called the First Amendment. And there are similar codes in other states have been struck down on First Amendment grounds because she's a candidate for public office. She has a right to say things if she wants, people argue. So I don't know if there's gonna be a big downside for her ethically, mm-hmm. politically. Again, I think it's for my, my conversation, it's smart politics. Now, conservatives again are bulking at this and they even kind of hope that this might wake up their base because they feel like their base doesn't understand like what's at stake here. Liberals get it. If they flip control of the court, the abortion lawsuit Josh Call filed is more likely to succeed. If they flip the court, you're more likely to get a opportunity to challenge the maps now in place for legislature as a partisan gerrymander. If you don't, you don't get those opportunities. For conservatives, Republicans tell me, they just don't think that's really possible. They kind of assume that's not going to happen. This might maybe wake them up, but we shall see if it really does. For Kelly, uh, good that he's got this group doing an ad for him. We talked before. Both Doro and Kelly raised about 300 grand last year, which is not peanuts, obviously, but it's not enough for a sustained media buy ahead of the primary. For say which, put 700 grand down on TV, that's enough to get her name out there, get herself known. The others need help. Then you have Everett Mitchell, who is way behind fundraising wise, and does not have anybody from the outside going in to help him just yet.
0: And important to note too, another round of endorsements came out this week with Jennifer Duro and Kelly, who's already had some endorsements for pro life groups. Duro picked up some of those as well. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to show people how they can without really talking about certain matters um, about Who's surrounded by them? Um, also, this week, uh, the DNR board uh, met for the first time with a new face uh, leading uh, the board, and that was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Governor Tony Evers' pick, uh, Secretary Pick, which is Adam Payne. So he made his first public appearance Wednesday before the National Research Board, and he made a speech to board members, uh, kind of really just highlighting the need to tackle PFAS contaminants and putting political differences aside. One of the quotes that he said was, We have to have clean water, and that should not be a partisan issue. This comes after kind of a whole uh, uh, controversy on um, uh, the DNR board with um, uh, Prane, who wasn't a walker appointee. He refused to leave, and then he resigned uh, right before uh, the, yeah. the holiday.
1: So the significance here, of really, the meaning is it went from being a 4-3 walker board in December to a 5-2 Evers board in January. So Prane stepped down right before Christmas. Another board member who is a walker appointee his term was going to expire in May. He resigned the end of the year. That cleared the way for one of Evers' former appointees, or well, current appointees, to finally take her spot on the board, Sandra Nass, and then to pick another person. Now you have Evers' picks in charge of the agenda with the Natural Resources Board. The things to watch going forward are, let Devin Lemony the Central Leader said he's going to have hearings on all these picks, these nominations for Governor Evers. We saw late last week dozens and dozens of nominations being sent to committees to begin the process. So what's gonna happen with those picks for the DNR board? Will they get confirmed? Big question mark. And what happens to the DNR secretary? We kind of talked about this kind of dynamic before for Republicans in the Senate. Do they go ahead and vote on people, confirm them? Do they have hearings and hold off on a final vote so they can kind of hang it over their heads of if you mess up, we're gonna come get you kind of thing? Because as long as they're short the eighth Senate district, they don't have impeachment powers for public officials, right? right? So if they lose that seat, they lose that leverage possibly over some of these picks. So kind of watch that dynamic with the secretaries uh, who haven't confirmed yet. Do they get that final vote for the state Senate?
0: And also going, going back to budget negotiations, budget proposals, the state bar this week sent out uh, a memo saying that, hey, their district attorney shortage is dire. They mm-hmm. called it a quote a constitutional crisis," and they were really just emphasizing with this surplus. Now is the time to start raising some rates for some DAs, uh, answer from public defenders, because we could be near a crisis point. We already know during the ba- uh during the pandemic there was it, it caused this huge backlog of cases, but that is still going mm-hmm. on. Uh, I want to read one quote specifically um, <clears throat> from that press release that says district attorneys across the state have either staffing shortages or positions that they're unable to fill as salaries have not kept up with pace with the employment market. Now, that was according to their press release. Now, starting pay for new assistant prosecutor ranks Wisconsin among the bottom 10 nationally. So we've talked about this issue a a few times, but this is kind of their pitch saying, hey, pay attention to us when uh, budget negotiations start going.
1: It's the same pitch I've heard several budgets in a row, Mm -hmm. too. We have money, we have a problem to address it. Mm -hmm. And they put more money in, but not as much as they're asking for. So the question is, will they go to the point that it takes care of this issue? We have the money now, but it also creates an ongoing commitment. If you give them a bump in salary, I think there are 16 or 17 steps in the pay raise for assistant DAs, for example. If you bump up the pay in every one of those those steps, it stays there, it goes forward. What if we don't have the money in two years? That's a big question, so there is this balancing act of, yes, we have a lot of money right now, but someone's one time, can we commit to this going forward? Uh, with these DAs and and public defenders.
0: All right, let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is Daniel Kelly, and there's a lot of questions in this Mm -hmm. race about who's going to write a check um, specifically to support Duro or Kelly.
1: Yeah, So Kelly with his ad, uh, Fair Courts America is backed by Dick Uline. He's an Illinois businessman, GOP mega donor. He has opened his checkbook wide for favored candidates, not just Wisconsin, but nationally the last few cycles. One of the biggest donors in the country. His group has promised to spend basically millions of dollars to help Kelly. They're talking about a seven figure by ahead of the primary. That is significant. Um, that will help him. Now, Doro, when you talk to Republicans, there's a more of a buzz about her as a general election candidate. They're kinda of like they like her profile. She's got this kind of a little bit of celebrity status from the Daryl Brooks trial, the Walkershaw Christmas Parade tragedy. They think she has a better profile. She also hasn't lost a statewide race by ten points like Kelly did. Um, We can get in a whole thing about, you know, there was a primary for president on the ballot at the same time and that influenced Kelly's loss, but still, he lost, she hasn't. They like her profile. They also know without somebody helping her in the primary, she faces a difficult task because while she's known, yes, in southeastern Wisconsin, in La Crosse, Eau Claire, Wausau, you have to remind those voters of the connection to the Darrell Brooks trial. They don't walk around every day with that in their backyard. They don't remember that stuff. You have to reach out and communicate to them. She doesn't have the money on her own to do that. Now, she does have talk radio in southeastern Wisconsin that has a fairly general, you know, positive reception to her. That can help. That is a voter-rich area of the state for Republicans. Mm-hmm. But if Kelly fights her to a draw among conservatives in southeastern Wisconsin and he can get communication out to the rest of the state, that's a bonus, right? Who's going to write the check to promote her through an independent group? And will that person go toe to toe with Dick Uline line who can spend millions of dollars his favorite candidates
0: and also this week there was um suspicion there was an article um in the state or excuse me milwaukee journal sentinel about suspicion that duro's kid had ties to a mm-hmm. uw student's uh, overdose of fentanyl now of course it's not uh, great press for her yep. but unless it turns into a campaign ad i don't think it's really going to stick here jr
1: no but it also is remember like the everett mitchell and his divorce proceedings it's a reminder of okay if they get through to the general election, there's fodder for an ad. I don't expect this stuff to be an ads in the primary for people I've talked to. But if you're talking about control of the court, they will use whatever they need yeah. to try and win that race. There is also a push by Kelly Backers of Doro's not tested. Remember, she's appointed by Walker the Bench in 2011, won in 12 and 18 without facing an opponent. This is her first real go-around as a candidate in a contested race. It raises the question, what else do we not know about her that could come out in this very, very, very important U.S. Our state Supreme Court race? And
0: Duro did say, state in her statement about that story that, you know, my kid is not running, mm-hmm. you know, I know that my family is going to get under attack. I mean, that's politics nowadays. Almost anything is fair game, unfortunately. But she said, it's not my kid running, mm-hmm. it's me. Yeah. All right, mixed this week is Senator Jamie Baldwin.
1: So, look, uh, the first two national prognosticators doing the ratings of 2024 came out with Wisconsin as a lean Dem state, Cook Political Report and University of Virginia's Crystal Ball. And it's probably because we're a purple state. The question though for Republicans is, can you keep it a purple race? What I mean by that is, like Terry Baldwin is a fundraising machine. She's got a national network. She outran Tony Evers by like 10 points in 2018. She is great at going around the state and being in local media markets and getting attention when she goes. Ron Johnson travels the state. When Ron, Ron Johnson goes out to the state, these smaller areas, he doesn't get, or doesn't pitch the media to come cover him. Baldwin does, when she goes there, she talks about local issues. She goes to Marinette, talks about what she's done for the shipping industry up there, the shipbuilding industry up there. She goes to Green Bay, she goes to, I mean, she is everywhere talking about farm issues, stuff in the defense bill to help Wisconsin, those kinds of things. She does a really good job of work in the state. So for Republicans, who do you get to run against her? Um, Eric Hovde has talked about it, Madison businessman. But does the Tim Michaels experience of this past year give him pause of like, eh, maybe it's not the right time or right environment for me to run against her? Um, people have thrown out Brian Stiles' name. Brian Stiles now on a path to build work up the House GOP ladder, chair of a committee. Um, Tom Tiffany, congressman from up north, he might run statewide someday. Not a very good fundraiser. Tim um, Michaels, my hero again. Eh, people say probably not. I mean, he's closed the door after we spent 19 million bucks last year. Rebecca Clayfish, she wants to be more of an executive role than like a member of the U.S. Senate. So they're going through who else is out there. Maybe someone else emerges from the business community, you know, a private person coming forward. Then you have Mike Gallagher, who torpor is in D.C. recently. He's not interested in running for the U.S. Senate in 2024. Talking to folks this week, that there should be a caveat. Not right now. He is chair of the Select Committee on China. People think that Gallagher wants something more than being a congressman from the Green Bay area. He's got signs of something else. Does this committee scratch that itch? You know, It's gonna be a platform for him to raise his profile. He's got some pet causes about China. Does he see an environment where he could come run against Baldwin? Now, uh, Gallagher had three million bucks in the bank end of last year, or actually just after post-election. So he's got a chunk of change It buys him time to get into the race if he wants to later on, because he's got a good fundraising base. For anybody else, you've got to raise money, start doing it soon. So if we don't have somebody by the summer, who's it going to be? Yeah. Um, unless you can write a big check like an Eric Hovde. But remember, the summer of 2021, we already had in, Sarah Galuski in, Alex, Alex Lazarian, Mandela Barnes in, Tom Nelson. We had a full field for Democrats for US Senate by uh, June, July yeah. of 2021. Okay, that's five, six months away. So the clock is ticking. Who's going to get in there and who can raise the money to challenge her?
0: All right, and following this week is Soap and Shaw.
1: So she was nominated for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Western District of Wisconsin based out of Madison. Ron Johnson, though, had a problem with her nomination because of old tweets she sent that were critical of Republicans, including Ron Johnson. We know Mark Mark Buchanan's brother, William Buchanan, his nomination for the Eastern District in Green Bay, a, a seat in the judge uh, federal bench there. Johnson also had a problem with that, right? They are firing up the federal nomination Federal nominating commission to find a replacement for the Pocan nomination. And now we're getting word out of D.C. that the White House is not going to renominate Sopin for that seat in the U.S. Attorney's Office. They're expecting Baldwin and Johnson to fire back up the nominating commission to find somebody new. What's interesting is the commission was built to find consensus candidates. You've got three members nominated by Baldwin, three by Johnson. We now have our third or fourth example of a consensus candidate who couldn't get confirmed. Uh, Ballin blew up Jordan G- Giamperto a few years ago because of comments he made about gay marriage, came to light after his kind of nomination for the White House. We have Pocan, we have Shaw from Johnson because of issues he's raised. How do you find somebody with a consensus committee to <laughs> so get through Johnson and Bol- probably more with Johnson? Because Biden's going to look at that pool of candidates from the commission and say, who's the most Democratic right, of, of the consensus candidates right. because I'm a Democrat. <laughs> How do you find that Democrat that Ron Johnson is going to be okay with for these sides? That's the mm, challenge. I
0: don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued. Yes. All right, that will do it for this week's show. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week.
1: This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.